take our Bibles, turn to Jude, book of Jude. Well, we're going to continue this series of messages on Sunday nights, a longer look at the little letters. We've gone through Philemon, 2 John, 3 John. In fact, we've preached through every one of these books one time, and now tonight we'll conclude the second time through each of these books. This will be the second time through the book of Jude. And um, in our first message of the book of Jude, I focused on what Jude found necessary in his day, and I believe it's still necessary in our day, and I could say perhaps even more necessary today. Uh, Look at verse number one, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. And so his intent, it appears, was to just write about this common salvation. What a great theme to write on, Uh, what we have in common. And I, again, I love, I mentioned this the first time through and I'll mention it again. I love going to different parts of the country, meeting people I've never met before, even in other parts of the world, and meeting people there that we have one thing in common and one thing only, our common salvation. It's amazing. Uh, I've been in Haiti, I've been in Cape Verde, West Africa, I've been in Mexico, various places, and meeting people that look different than me, have a different culture, speak a different language, and yet we can have a commonality and a bond between us. I've had people embrace me from the very first time just because of our common salvation. And what a wonderful thought and what a wonderful topic to write on. But he pauses right there. He says... I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, but it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. So he's going to take this little letter, this postcard, and he's going to write to them about contending for the faith. And if it was needful in Jude's day, oh, it's needful today. He calls it the last times over in verse number, uh, verse number 18, how they, that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. He believed and knew that they were in the last days there, and I believe today we're in the last of the last days. And it is needful for us tonight to continue to contend for the faith. Why? Verse 4 gives us that reason. There are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. There are individuals that um, they, it says here, crept in unawares. And the idea is that they come in in disguise They come in under a different pretense or under a different reason. Uh, They come in acting as if they are embracing and are one of, uh, of a congregation. But in reality, they are men of lasciviousness and they are men of, uh, uh, that, uh, that deny, uh, uh, the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And so there is this, these men that are given over to lasciviousness. Lasciviousness carries the idea of, filthiness, lustfulness, lewdness. 
And men are teaching and will be teaching that the grace of God allows them to participate in these carnal and lustful activities. They're excusing it. The grace of God will cover it. The grace of God allows it. All of these things. What an what a unbelievable teaching. And yet there are men out there and individuals out there that do such things. There's a moral depravity amongst these individuals, but there's also a doctrinal depravity. Do you see it there? Denying, it says there in verse number four, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These men, they lack decency and they lack good doctrine. And that was in Jude's day and it still exists today. So in that first message, I gave you three thoughts. From verses 17 through 21, we need to ready ourselves, prepare ourselves for this battle. And he goes back to the fundamentals, getting into God's word and praying. I don't know if there's anything more important than those two things each and every day to ready yourself and prepare yourself for this battle that we find ourselves in. Secondly, I said we need to reach someone. You need to reach someone with the gospel. There it says, having compassion on uh, verse number uh, uh, 22, and of some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. And again, we need to reach some people for Jesus Christ. I'll speak more on this in a moment here to emphasize this, but I gotta, again, just here, church, we are called to get the gospel out. Uh, that is included in our faith promise missions and supporting missionaries, but it is also included on you reaching your neighbors. Amen. Amen. I, gave you, I gave you a good three-second opportunity there, church. Uh, we need to reach the person across the street, that person across the cubicle there, that person you slug with. That ought to be an interesting conversation, huh? Whatever it is, you gotta, you've got to try to reach them, reach someone. And then in these days, these last days, remember the faithfulness of the Lord. There in verse 24 and 25, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. See, there are people that will fall for these, these apostates that come into church. There are people that will be pulled away. You want to keep from being one of those that fall for that false doctrine, that, that, that indecent doctrine? Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. This evening I want to continue this study in this little book, go a little bit deeper or a little bit uh, through this again, although I don't believe the overall message is going to change a lot. Really, as I look through this, I've... I see there's a true faith and there's a false faith. But both are claiming that they're faith. We're not talking about someone out in the world presenting uh, this crazy idea. This is people coming into the church, creeping into the churches. And so one is correct and one is not true. Uh, there, are, there is a true faith and a false faith. Now before we get into this, I would encourage us that we be certain for us to determine this that we look to the right source. You know, if you're going to look to the world to see if this is right or wrong, that's not the right source for you to find out your information. You know, to, to look at our world, it's a completely moving target, isn't it? 
It's always altering, always changing. And it caters to the, uh, to the, uh, the desires and the wants of society. If, if society starts liking this, then the world moves to this. For instance, you've heard of the philosophy of relativism? I was reading a book not oh, a couple of years ago, and it got me looking into this. Relativism is the belief that there is no absolute truth. In fact, I spent several chapel periods here at Heritage Christian School teaching on this fact of relativism because it's, it's coming hard at our young people. It's in colleges. It's in, it's in their public schools. It's in their public universities. Uh, it's in society that there is no absolute truth. What a person believes or experiences or thinks is right for them then that's truth. There's no absolute truth in this philosophy. Now, an extreme position of that would be, in this day and age, on genders, wouldn't it? Where an individual is biologically male or female, but in their mind and in their thoughts, they start turning that and twisting that, And that person says, well, I may have been born this way, but inside and what I am is truly the opposite. And people are embracing that. If that's what you believe, then fine. I I saw a a video not too long ago of a guy that was, he was really, uh, uh, he he was a conservative and and, um, uh, um, uh, uh, traditional person, but he was holding up a sign that said, uh, uh, and I hope you, I, I, don't, I don't want to get political here, but I'm just telling you what happened in this. He was holding a sign that says, Feminist Love Trump. And it was driving feminists nuts, you know, as, as he was holding this sign up at some, at some rally or something. Feminists Love uh, Trump. And some feminist came up to him and, and says, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think? You can't hold that up. And he says, why not? Because you're not a feminist. He goes, I am too. <laughs> and she says, you're not, you're a guy. He goes, don't you dare determine what gender I am. And immediately she changed. She goes, oh, you're right. You're right. And he was just being sarcastic. He was trying to prove a point, and she went right with it because that's a relativism type of an attitude. What a person thinks. Now, I don't live that way. I believe there is a standard of truth. In fact, Jesus proclaimed in John 17, 17, he says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. This is our ultimate standard. This is where everything is yes or no. And there's relativism, and there's all kinds of other isms out there that will cater to man and his desires that this world will promote as their truth. And church, you need to go to the right source if you're going to determine the true faith or the false faith. You need to go to God's word. You need to make sure it measures up with this. You're going to hear things like this. The Bible's outdated. The Bible's just a bunch of stories. The Bible's not relevant for today. On and on and on. But I'll tell you this, this book has stood the test of time. And in the end, it always comes out to be true. It always comes out to be correct. And I would encourage you, make sure you go to the right source. So this evening, let's look at this source of identifying those with a false faith and identifying those with a true faith. Again there in verse number 4, we see these these people of false faith described for us. Notice, first of all, as I've already mentioned in brief here, they are marked by immorality. 
Uh, uh, verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Again, lasciviousness carries the idea of lustfulness, uh, filthiness, lewdness. I don't want to get graphic in my description of it this evening, but you understand where this is going. It's, it's catering to, the, to the, uh, the, the, the inner filthy desires of an individual and fulfilling those desires. And so this, this false faith was marked by immorality. What they're saying here is uh, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They're saying this, live however you want and you can still be a part of our church and, and, and be right with God. It's an ungodliness about these men, but they cloak it in some type of religiosity. They cloak it in some type of terminology of spirituality or some religious pretense. They, they, they try to appear to be godly individuals, but they're involved in this lascivious lifestyle. Look at some of these other verses with me. Look at verse number 8 as they're described. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh. Uh, look down to verse number 10. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. Verse 15 and 16. To execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them all of their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lust. And their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. Then verse number 18. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. You want to to know if these are true faith or not? They're marked by immorality. But they're also marked by this denying. Back in verse number 4 it says, and denying that the very end, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The immorality says live however you want. This aspect is saying believe whatever you want. And you can still be a part of our church and be right with God. Does that sound familiar today? Come as you, just come in and whatever you believe, just come and be a part of this. Listen, there's something that makes us distinct and different from others, and it's our doctrine. It's not to be snobs. It's not to be jerks. It's not to be rude. But listen, we've got to stay true to the Word of God, and we must maintain doctrinal purity. By the way, if we lose our doctrinal purity, it will not be long till we find ourselves in immorality. You'll find yourself slipping for things that you never would have thought of when you lose your doctrinal purity. Why do we take such hard stands on things and why do we maintain such old-fashioned fundamental beliefs? Because we want to maintain a doctrinal purity to protect us. We're living in a day and an age where we live in an ecumenical uh, religious system where many faiths are coming together. 
And that's a dangerous place for us to ever to entertain that thought. The Lord's really burdened my heart about this doctrinal purity. There are things going on in this day and age amongst fundamental churches, once fundamental churches, where they are using terms like transitioning away from certain beliefs and things that they have believed for decades and sometimes over a century long and and, and that's been a a cornerstone of their church and they're transitioning away from a Bible version or or King James version of the Bible or they're transitioning away from uh, uh, various doctrines. And church, we must be careful. We must maintain. Listen, If it was good in 1981 when this church was started, the Bible hasn't changed, has it? And we must maintain a doctrinal purity because of this preparing and working on some messages where I want us to, on a Sunday night, just go through a series of our doctrinal beliefs, go through our Constitution and teach why we believe what we believe. There's a lot of things out there that we believe and we have no idea why we believe them. And I want us to go through that, and I want you to be prepared. And I want to say this to our young people today, our teenagers, our, our children, our young marrieds. You're the big target here. I'm an old fuddy-duddy. They're not coming after me. I, I'm already kind of stuck in my ways. But you young people, they're after you. They're going to tell you to go to an old-fashioned church, and, and you got all these crazy beliefs there, and they're going to ask you to relax on some things and, and come have a... And listen... They're going to get you with their entertainment and those things, and then they're going to get you with your doctrine. Be careful, church. These individuals that deny the faith, you'll notice that in the end there's no spiritual fruit for them. Look at verses 12 and 13. These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved for the blackness of the darkness forever. There's no fruit in this. There's no benefit to this, but yet they're drawing people in. There's no spiritual fruit, and ultimately there will be punishment. Verses 5 through 8 I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. It's going to give three illustrations. That's the first one. Number uh, two is in verse six. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved into everlasting chains unto darkness, unto the judgment of the great day. Number three illustration, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. He's saying these guys that are involved in this false doctrine, this false teaching, these men crept in unawares, the same things that happened to the children of Israel, that happened to these angels that kept not their first estate, that happened to the Sodom and Gomorrah, that judgment that fell, judgment will fall on them as well. It's a dangerous thing to mess with God's word. It's a dangerous thing to start twisting doctrines and and to, to make up things that are false. Now, that's identifying this false faith. 
drop down with me as we see a, and really the majority of this letter is on that. Look at verse 19. You can see a great transition now. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Verse 20, but ye, beloved. So now we're going to be able to see some of those and how to identify those with true faith. He begins back, we'll start in verses 20, we'll look at 20 and 25, but go ahead and look back to me to verse number 3 first of all. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith. The, the, this description of these with true faith, they are encouraged to contend for the faith. This word contend is a great word. It's an athletic word. Uh, it's one that describes one exerting great effort. It's strenuous. It's hard work. It's dedication. One of my favorite times of the year in the area of sports is right now especially here just a couple of weeks ago in the first round of March Madness. I love to watch the college basketball tournament. I, I, I love to watch this. I, I, I love to see these teams get in there, and, and they got 64 teams. I guess they got a few extra now playing into this now. And, 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 you, and it happened again this year for the second time where the lowest seed in a bracket defeated the first seed. It's a great upset. And you see these college basketball players giving everything they have. Uh, my team didn't even make it to the tournament this year. And so I, I'm just rooting for, I'm typically rooting for the underdog in every game. And last, we're down to the final four. And last night, anybody watch the games last night? All right, Bobby and me. All right, very good. Uh, uh, the, uh, there was four, four teams left. And last night I watched Florida Atlantic play against San Diego State, a nine seed versus a four or five seed. And I'm rooting for the ninth seed. I'm rooting for Florida Atlantic. It's a great story. And they got up to like a 14 or 15 point lead. But surely, uh, slowly and surely, San Diego, San Diego State just kept on chipping away at that, chipping away at that, getting a defensive stop and making a basket. And next thing you know, it's down to, down to three or four points. And then... My TV went out last night. <laughs> I was going nuts. I kept, I, I am on, I'm on Hulu, so it's a streaming service, and it kept on rebooting and going back to the same play I'd seen. I knew the game was over, and I didn't want to look at the score. I was trying to watch it there, and I finally had to give up and go back, and I saw that San Diego State made a last-second shot. They kept contending. 14 points down. Never quit. Kept on chipping away. That's the picture here of contending. Listen, we're not contending just for a basketball game, something that is very uh, uh, earthly minded. We are contending for the faith. We must keep on. Heritage Baptist Church needs to be one of those churches that just hangs in there. No matter what's going on around us, what other churches are doing, we're going to earnestly contend for the faith. They're described as contenders. They're described as one that is building up faith in, in verse number 20. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. 
It reminds me there of Ephesians chapter 4 where, well, in fact, turn over there because I won't quote it correctly. Ephesians chapter number 4. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and he tells them in verse number 11, Ephesians 4, 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That word edifying, he uses it again down and later in this chapter, but it's the idea of building up encouraging it's a construction term and the same thought is given here in jude verse number 20 the idea that we build up our faith you get saved you get baptized you get discipled and then you're all done right nope you got to keep on building keep buildings block upon block upon block I don't care if you've been saved for 40 years. It's, if you quit building, you'll start backsliding. You'll start, you'll start uh, uh, falling away on some things. And so you must keep building. You are, a, you are a building program that's never going to end until the Lord Jesus takes us home. And so keep building. Uh, this one of true faith is described as one that is building upon their faith. The end of verse number 20. They're described as one that prays. Let's read verse 20 again. But ye beloved, building up yourselves on on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. The importance and the significance of prayer. Can we pray too much? Uh, Maybe we should try. And see if we ever, you know... Lord, hey, you've been praying too much. Slow it down there, buddy. Does the scripture not say, pray without ceasing? Without quitting? I I can't stress to us the importance and the significance of a successful believer, of a successful church, the impact that prayer has. Wednesday evening prayer meeting. I don't know if there's a more important service in the week of a church than a Wednesday night prayer meeting. We probably don't spend it. We take, oh, maybe 10, 12 minutes to mention prayer requests and have a season of prayer. Sometimes I get convicted about that, church, that maybe we ought to pray longer. And you know why I don't sometimes? Because I think, well, nobody will come then. And I don't know if that's the right reason not to do it, The church prayer is important. Prayer moves God. God is is touched when we pray. The significance of a Tuesday ladies, Tuesday night and Tuesday morning ladies Bible study and prayer meeting. That's that's huge at our church. A Saturday morning men's prayer meeting. God is honored and and, and is moved by that. A 24-hour prayer chain. God is moved by that. Prayer is significant. I shared this just a few weeks ago after one of our men uh, shared the, a thought in our, our devotion at our men's prayer meeting. And, and I mentioned Spurgeon this morning, but Charles Spurgeon had the, the great tabernacle there, in a, a metropolitan tabernacle there in London. 
And uh, he had some guests that were visiting their services one day and he was showing them around this great huge tabernacle and going into the various parts and someone says, well, what, is, what, what does it take to run this place? And was talking about the mechanicals of the building. He says, oh, I'll take you to the, I'll take you to the power room. And these individuals thought he was taking them to where the boilers would be and all those type of things. And it was just a handful of minutes before the service was going to start and he opened this door and there were hundreds of men down on their hands and knees praying and asking for God's blessing upon that service that day. He says, my friends, this is the power room of this church. It wasn't his oratory abilities. It wasn't his, his Bible study. It was the prayers of God's people that energized that church and all the significance of praying I want to challenge you. We have one week before Easter Sunday. Wouldn't you like to see God move in on us next Sunday? I heard the choir practicing, the orchestra and ensemble practicing this evening, and I'm excited about the great music we're going to have. I'm praying God will give me just the right message. But you know, we could, the greatest music's not going to meet the needs, and, and the best message is not, it's going to take the touch of God upon us. Would you pray with me this week? In fact, would you just right now commit to every day, God, would you bless this coming Sunday? Would you help our musicians to sing with your touch and your power upon them? Would you touch our pastor that he'd preach in a way that he's never preached before with the power of God upon this place to see God work and move in lives? Do you believe God could do it? But it's going to take prayer. It's going to take faithful prayer, fervent prayer. These people of true faith, they're described as one that protects or guards. Verse 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That word keep, it's the idea of someone that guards and protects. It it comes from a word where we get the idea of a sentry or a guard that's walking around with his gun on his shoulder, protecting and guarding an area. And again, it goes back to much of what we've been saying, just of guarding ourselves and protecting ourselves. And then let me end on this last thought of what what describes someone with true faith. In verse 22 and 23, they're described as one that has compassion for the lost. And of some making a dif- having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Oh, to reach souls for Jesus Christ. Church, I'm very proud of you for your efforts this past Friend Day. Well over 200 people personally invited, and maybe 30 or so came. I mean, isn't that crazy, the percentages there? You invite 200 and you get maybe 30, but what a, what a great day it was. And I would encourage you, of those 200 people, keep praying for them. Keep lifting them up to the Lord. Uh, Easter Sunday is a great day to invite them back to church. Uh, I was proud of our church for their efforts. This past Thursday, we, we had a, a, a quarterly visitation night where we're visiting all the prospects and all the visitors that have come in the last few months. And we had over, well over 40 people here to go out and to invite people and to thank them. And many, many calls that were made that evening and I'm proud of our church for that. I'm proud for those that came out this last Saturday morning for the sore visitation. And for those that go out every Saturday for our bus ministry. 
Those are great efforts, and I want to encourage you to continue that. We must continue corporate efforts in those fashions. But church, the greatest way we're going to reach people is individually. It's the people you know. It's one thing for us to go out and knock on doors in a community together, but our greatest successes will come for the people you know. Again, reaching that guy across the street or across the cubicle. And we've got to get soul conscious. We must be. We must be burdened for them. Without Christ, they're going to go into a Christless eternity, separated forever. So in these last days, it's crucial that we contend for the faith. Do so by building upon the faith, praying, protecting, guarding the truth, and reaching someone with the gospel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening. Dangerous days we're living in. Difficult days, but also exciting because the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Oh, may he find us faithful when he does come back. He finds a faithful congregation, faithful in your neighborhood, your workplace, the Lord's touched your heart this evening. I want to encourage you to be obedient to the Lord tonight, there at your pew or here at this altar. But let's be faithful in these days. Father, take this invitation now, Lord. Use it for your honor and glory. Lord, would you burden and convict our hearts from the youngest to the oldest in here, Lord, to keep contending for the faith. Lord, we'll thank you for what you accomplished in these few moments in Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as the piano begins to play. The Lord spoke to your heart. Would you respond this evening?